In nomine Dei Nostri. Welcome to Speak of the Devil. My name is Reverend Campbell, and it is Halloween. So happy Halloween. Uh, I'm not going to be wearing this mask the entire time, so sorry, people. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to wear this jacket the entire time either. But I just figured I should do a little bit, you know, for Halloween. Just, uh, just a little bit. So before we start, today what we're going to be doing is watching Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages. This was a film like uh, produced and released in 1922. I'm going to get into some details about the actual film itself. It's a bit more of a documentary than it is an occult film. But uh, there's a couple events of note that I should at least address. At the very least, right? First of all, a couple days ago was the uh, anniversary of the loss of Anton Zanderlevé from all of our lives, even if he wasn't in your life. The world suffered a loss at his passing. Um, he was born April 11th, 1930. He passed on October 29th, 1997. 19, yeah, 97. Um, it was at the St. Mary's Medical Center in San Francisco, California. Uh, he was 67. He survived by his companion Blanche Barton, their son Xerxes, and his daughters, Carla and Zena. And uh, a little bit of a hail, Anton LaVey. Your mark is still fresh on the world. There's also some other things to bring up. Like today is the anniversary of um, our high priest and high priestess. So... Madison Andramia and Magus Gilmore were married 40 years ago today. So I'd also like to raise a glass to these two wicked individuals. Your mark is still fresh. It's a fresh wound on this planet, but just as deep and impactful as our founders. And the personal time that I've shared with you, though minimal, has had great impact on myself. Thank you for everything you do. I wish you both years and years of as much happiness as humans are able to have before we ruin it with our own behaviors. Hail Satan, hail High Priest and High Priestess, Gilmore and Adramia. This is just an excuse for me to drink, I think. <laughs> it's Halloween. We're going to have some fun, right? That's the whole point of all this, is to have a little bit of fun. So, that being said, I want to give a brief introduction from, uh, this is from publicdomainreview.org, about Haxon, and then we'll just dive in and I'll, we'll just start riffing. You know, it's going to be basically like a, a Netflix party, except it's just everyone watching at the exact same time and having a good time, right? Uh, let me say hi to everyone in the chat first. KB, how you doing? So this guy came in right after KB earlier today, and he had written something about, um, how we'd all fallen from God and he'll pray for us. Pray for us, man. <laughs> Maybe you'll turn one of us. Who knows? I mean, if you believe in an invisible being that wants you to reject all of your natural instincts and has made the world abjectly worse by his belief, by all means, worship death, loser. We choose life. We choose vibrance, existence. We choose carnal pleasure. So while you're abstaining from everything, we will indulge on your behalf. While you pray, fucking loser. 
And John, thanks for joining live. Gary Carter, great to see you, man. Eric, what is happening? First time catching. I hope you're still there. I hope you tune in uh, more than just tonight. Enoki, how you doing? James, what's up? Jason, how you doing, man? Pursuit of Ecstasy, good to see you. Lazarus, what's up? Zachary, how you doing, man? Great to see you. KB, KB. Uh, Ruth, how you doing? Good to see you. Let's see who else we got here. Frank, great to see you. Villa, it is Halloween that fell on Sunday. And I want to put a pin in that because, a pin in me addressing everyone, because um, <clears throat> Sunday, Halloween in Utah means it's Saturday Halloween. So not only do you get fewer people on Saturday, but you get even fewer, if any, on Sunday. Not to mention, I, I bitch about it every single year, the trunk or treat plague. I just, I don't understand. And you would think a trunk or treat, if you're worried about, I don't know, your health or anything, would be like a pandemic poison, right? All these people milling about all together in the same trunks. First of all, I don't want anything out of your trunk. I don't want anything out of my trunk. Why would I want to take something I'm going to put in my mouth out of someone else's trunk? That's like a serial killer type stuff. Crazy. But on the other hand, all you're doing is creating a subpar Halloween experience for everyone attending said trunk and treat and ruining it for everyone else who wants to have a traditional children crawling the streets like monsters Halloween. And then Sunday, who cares if it's Sunday? What does that have any bearing on anything? It's just a day. It's literally a construct that we created. It doesn't make any sense. You think some invisible person in the sky who has omnipotent power and knowledge gives a damn whether or not you take candy from someone's door on one random day over another? How stupid are you? Apparently very. That being said, who else we got in here? Who else we got? Ali Ali, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. Sean, always great to see you. Richard, what up? Brad, my man, how you doing? All right, this thing is like flippity-floppity. I need to get it to do this on its own. I'm gonna wear it the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. All right, let's dive into some hacks and shall we? Um, I've never watched this all the way through. I've only watched snippets of it, so much so that I didn't even know that it was a documentary. I, I really thought it was just video footage, but it's not just video footage. So, <laughs> before we dive in, referred to in English as the witches or witchcraft through the ages, Haxen is a Swedish-Danish film, a curious and groundbreaking mix of documentary and silent horror cinema, written and directed by Benjamin Christensen. Whereas most films of the period were literary adaptations, Christensen's take was unique, based his film upon non-fiction works, mainly the Malleus Maleficarum, a 15th century treatise on witchcraft he found in a Berlin bookshop, as well as a number of other manuals, illustrations, and treatises on witches and witch hunting. Um, non-fiction. <laughs> they call the Malleus Maleficarum non-fiction. Why is it that every priest, Catholic priest, who writes something is treated as, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, gospel. It's treated as reality. And who would know less about witchcraft than a Catholic priest? How is that any... If I... 
That doesn't make any sense at all. That's like me, a priest in the Church of Satan, writing about um, the inner workings, the, the inner circle of the Pope and his uh, band of merry men, I think they're called. <laughs> Clearly, I am not the person to write that book. So why is it okay to flip that scenario? And then why does everyone else in the world then say, that must be accurate, or that must have some tidbits of knowledge that are true or were once true. No, it's all bullshit, but okay. You want scary stuff? We're going to talk about some scary stuff during this. Um, <laughs> I just, it bugs me when they're like, oh, it's nonfiction. No, it's fiction. The whole Spanish Inquisition that used that book as basis to murder and torture innocent people were based off of a fiction. Let's see. Let's see. Um, on literary adaptations, Christensen commented, In principle, I'm against these adapt adaptations. I seek to find the way uh, forward to original films. Instead, Haxon was envisaged as starting, uh, as stated in the opening credits, as a presentation from a cultural and historical point of view in seven chapters of moving pictures. While the bulk of the film's format and its dramatic scenes portrayed by actors including Christensen himself in the role of the devil, would have been familiar enough to cinema goers at the time, although shocking in content, the first chapter lasted in 13 minutes is a different story. With its documentary-style scholarly tone, featuring a number of photographs of statuary, paintings, and woodcuts, it would have been entirely novel, a style of screened illustrated lecture which wouldn't become popular till many years later. Indeed, the film perhaps could have made a decent claim to being the first ever documentary, um... Uh, documentary. Reportedly the most expensive film of the Swedish silent film era, Haxon was actually banned in the United States and heavily censored in other countries. In 1968, an abbreviated version of the film was released, titled Witchcraft Through the Ages. It features an eclectic jazz score by Daniel Humer and dramatic narration by the wonderful gravel-toned William S. Burroughs. This is not that, this is the original. So we're going to get some classical music. I've potted it down so you can hear my annoying... Uh, <laughs> commentary over it. If you don't want to listen to my commentary, um, just go watch Haxon. It's it's on YouTube somewhere else, I'm sure. It'll be fun. Um, Reverend Campbell, the clergy are robes, gropes, and ropes, the secrets and sanctums of the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'm going to write that. <laughs> That's good. Um, it's still early here, which is why I'm doing this. So what are you going to do? The Pope has taken over Christmas with a Netflix documentary. Ugh. That's horrible. When your college professor is called the Bible Hebrew mythology, I like the way that person thought. Because that's literally what it is. <laughs> literally. All right. All right. Let's, uh, Joe, how you doing, man? Let's just dive in. Let's do it. There's nothing stopping us. The bitch. Oxen. So, it has, clearly it's like Danish or something, but it's got a, that's a handsome man right there. There he is. It's the devil. All right. So I also wanted to um, talk. You know, this it's getting hot in here. <laughs> I'm gonna take off all my clothes. Um, I also wanted to talk about my occult experiences because that's how I, like, ultimately not only discovered, but joined the Church of Satan. 
And, oh, you know what? Hold on a second. There we go. There we go. That's much better. Now I look like a stripper. The belief in sorcery and witchcraft is probably as old as mankind. Well, except that it wasn't seen as that, <laughs> except for later on reflection. You know, that was just like the, the natural uh, healing sentiments and, and uh, practices in different cultures. I do like that it, it breaks down the historical references of everything. I think that's great. <laughs> I despise the Catholic Church. I am enraged my Christianity. Yeah, it's always nice to check before you enter. <laughs> I, I suffer from that quite a bit, actually. Um, but I know what you mean. Evil spirits. Yeah, so um, I wanted the Necronomicon to be real so bad. I just really wanted it to be real <laughs> as a kid. So much so. Oh, well, and let me sort of phrase, like... Um, start out here on a, a bit of an explanation about how insane I am as an individual. Um, I firmly believe in the fact that you can convince yourself of anything. And, and I think Christianity is proof positive of that. And so are, you know, mass hysteria and uh, believing in miracles and stuff like that. You can convince yourself of literally anything. I had a friend in high school who had some numbing gel. He told me it was morphine. And so <laughs> I took it and me and this other guy, Mike, uh, I'm not gonna say his last name, uh, we thought we were high. And I felt high. Like I genuinely thought I was high on morphine. And it was just a little bit of like cold sore numbing gel. Like that's it. It had nothing in it at all. So it was just my mind convincing my body of something. And that's a testament to how powerful your mind is. And it's also an important note to pin on your board of why people do crazy things and believe crazy things. Because we convince ourselves of things so much that it actually affects us physically, right? So stress, for example, can make you physically ill if you're feeling too overstressed. Um, and again, that's just a cognitive issue that is causing physiological manifestations. Well, the occult and occult phenomenon, in my personal opinion, is the exact same. So this is the only time I'm gonna say this. Everything that I'm telling you happened to me in the moment. On reflection, it never happened at all. It was all in my head. But I truly believed every single bit of it at the time, so much so that I could feel the physical manifestations of it. Um, and I'm only going to give that disclaimer out once because I'm going to tell you some kind of crazy stuff, but I genuinely believed it at the time. And I want you to understand I do not anymore because I've had time and distance in order to process it. So, the uh, Mad Arab, thanks James on that, uh, something Al-Hazred, Al-something Al-Hazred. Anyway, he uh, supposedly wrote the Necronomicon, and there's like multiple versions of it, and my friend supposedly saw like a flesh-bound one. I don't know if she got that from like the Evil Dead or not, probably. Um, but the Evil Dead was not, and here's the other thing, when I was a kid, the Evil Dead, the only way you could see the Evil Dead was from a copy of a copy of a VHS tape. It wasn't available anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere. And so when I finally saw it, it was so bad and deteriorated on the footage, it felt real enough. We knew it was a film, we knew it wasn't real, but it felt real enough because it was so gritty and realistic with the deterioration 
And you know, the quality of those screens back then, it wasn't even 320p. I mean, it, it was really bad. That being said, um, this is great. Look at the heliocentric view of the world. Everything revolves around us. Um, I love the idea of heaven and earth literally being like within, like hell is within earth and heaven is just like above it in the clouds or something. And you've got like these images of like uh, angels just sort of hanging out Mary Poppins style looking down on people. Ugh, <laughs> uh, so dumb, so dumb. Um, <laughs> Enochian. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when I got the Necronomicon, I was warned heartily never to read any of the, the poems or spells out loud. And so what's the first thing I did as a kid who wanted to believe in real magic? I read it. And I summoned this succubus, not intentionally, not like I drew a circle on the floor and it came and manifested or anything, but it was one of those things where it took me a long time to figure out what the hell was tormenting me at night that lived in my closet. I couldn't figure out what it was. And it actually like crawled in bed with me. Like I felt my bed moving it crawled in bed with me and it was like touching me. Like that's how real it was. Um, now, another bit of a disclaimer, I did take a lot of drugs when I was younger, but I was not on drugs at this point, particular point. <laughs> so I can't blame it on that. It was a very weird experience uh, growing up like that. Yeah, <laughs> Lazarus, that's a little too real, I think. Um, so ultimately I was tormented by this thing. I couldn't sleep. I constantly felt its presence. And the fact is, is I was connected with the darker uh, side of nature. And so it's not like I was terrified of it, but I was concerned about the random chaos of something like that. I honestly had this worldview, again, very skewed at the time, but I had this worldview where you could um, draw, summon power from demons uh, or devils or stuff like that but there were other entities that were sort of otherworldly, other creatures of, you know, the, sort of the chaos of the universe, as it were, that you could not have any trust or faith or believe in at all. They were sort of on their own rules. And that's what this was that I summoned, supposedly. And it really was tormenting me. Um, ultimately, a friend of mine who drew me into another whole underworld of vampires, which I'm going to get into here in a little bit. Look at that. Oh, that's great. Um, it was very insane uh, experiencing it. Uh, they, we, we did perform this ritual where we drew the succubi into a plant and then we fucking killed the plant. And that got rid of the, the creature enough for me to be able to sleep at night because it was really messing me up. I mean, like I was working, I was working at um, a bank at the time as like a mail sorter, like a, uh, I don't even remember at the time because it was so many years ago. But um, this was like circa 1995. It was like loose checks or something and big, big sorting machines. Anyway, I could feel the creature like grabbing me, like physically handling me <laughs> while I was in this huge warehouse room standing on my feet all night sorting these checks. It was, it was really weird. It, 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 really, it really fucked me up for a very long time. Um, that being said, it did instill a level of trust and belief in this occult world this universe where we humans were really at the bottom of the, the food, you know, the, the, um, the power structure, you know, we had zero 
effect on everything that was out there, but some of us were able to tap into it a little bit more than others, only enough to know that it was there and it was dangerous, and if you played around with it in, you know, sort of inappropriate ways, you were going to pay in some way or another. We had friends who, in retrospective, you know, they were very much suffering from drug abuse and probably some underlying mental conditions before, during, and after that um, we honestly believed at the time were victims of these creatures. But it, it would be one of those effects where we, you know, um, they would send up different types of creatures. There were like knockers where you would hear them on the outside of your home and it was a way for them to try to break in. And so a lot, another part of this was protecting yourself from this invasive entity or th this um, group of entities, this organization, even though it wasn't really an organization, but this, this um, otherworldly mass of, of, of monstrosity from breaking in, very sort of Lovecraftian is, is how we approached it as kids. I was first introduced to the idea of the occult, actually, um, ironically, uh, playing <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, and it was this gothic girl and her gothic um, husband and all of their gothic friends who were getting, you know, really fucking into it. And they had like little clans all around Salt Lake City. Um, and they were prowling the night, going to clubs. And they had this hierarchy of uh, people in charge and, you know, sort of uh, power structures in this whole clan-like system. Years later, you know, there would be games like um, Vampire the Masquerade that would play on these ideas. But this was before all of that. Um, it was a very sort of vintage goth approach to lifestyle, but they took it very real. So there was literal blood letting. There was literal drinking of blood. And so it got to a point where there's this schism between these two families. Um, and, oh, hold on, Eric, you have a question. Is this hard to acquire type of book or can I just buy it on Amazon? What book are you referring to? What I'm talking about is just the shitty Necronomicon, which is all fake. <laughs> I just didn't believe it at the time, you know? It should be on anywhere. It's just a crappy old book. It was like the punk scene, except for real. You know, it felt more real than the punk scene ever did. Punks would start fights, and you know, they, they, you know, they thought they were badass, and they would just go party and stuff. This stuff took it to like another human level, where, you know, you were literally bleeding out um, other human beings, or it just got really weird. It got really weird. People living in coffins and shit like that. Um, so yeah, so there was these two families that were... Oh, and here's another thing really quick. For all of you who have watched my stuff for years, most of these stories you've heard already. So this is nothing new. Um, but it is just, you know, me trying to enjoy this film with you guys while I'm sharing some sort of ooky background stories, right? So if you have heard these stories before, sorry, you know, tune out, turn it off, or endure. One of the three, it's up to you. The ball's in your court. So uh, um, I'm trying to pick up where I was. So these two families were having this schism, and I thought all of this was really stupid. I never was connected with vampires in any way. I didn't like the idea of vampires at all. Um, it's just, it, it's not something that interested me. I was very much more of like a beast type character, like human being. Um, you know, I would growl when I got angry and I, you know, I was just sort of like, um, I was much more werewolf as 
just a natural human being than I ever was. Sort of like fanciful, you know, vampires and stuff like that. I just thought it was all silly. So I, they were my friends, and so I accepted them for who they were, but I did see everything they did was silly. Um, a friend of mine in high school had killed himself, and so uh, I was sort of, I was still being affected by that loss when I connected with these people. And so, you know, they would pull out their Ouija board, and they would talk about how we have to warm up the Ouija board and stuff in order to communicate. And it got to a point where um, I was uh, told, and I actually communicated with my friend who was in a place called um, The Void. And this is a place where uh, if, if you commit suicide, you are ostensibly trapped in the afterworld. And it may or may not be a, a well of potential power to draw on from uh, by other entities out there. But it was definitely like a punishment system, you know, like they were stuck there. And so they said that they would help me get them out if, like, because they could, and I'll get into how in a second, they would let me, um, they would help me get them out if I would bridge the gap between their families. So they genuinely had beef. Like, these people did really fight and stuff like that. Um, this one of their friends, Emily, and the other Samantha, who I did a whole in memoriam for when she passed recently this year, um, they had set up this whole situation where I would become a part of both families by drinking their blood and then having them drink mine and then there was also this whole other concoction mixed in with it and everything and once I was sort of the bridge between their two families they would then as both families be able to take me uh, to the void to release my friend's uh, soul so that he could then go and you know do whatever with it however it worked it sounds like there's a whole lot of knowledge behind these ramblings but there wasn't it was really them floating ideas and me so desperate um, to process or resolve the the pain that I was feeling over the loss of my friend that I was willing to do anything. I was willing to buy any story they wanted to sell me. Uh, and I did. Uh, I did get sick. I got very sick. <laughs> like very sick. They um, And it's not just because of the blood because that's gross too. But it was um, uh, frankincense. So ultimately, you're you're tied to a phase of the moon, and you're tied to some sort of essence on terra firma here, right? So in my particular case, um, you know, they had me smell a whole bunch of different oils and shit, and frankincense just happened to be my favorite at the time, and the phase of the moon that I enjoyed the most. Um, so. On that phase of the moon, they mixed frankincense with a whole bunch of blood, and I drank it, and they said, okay, now you need to lay down. You cannot puke. If you puke, then it all goes out of your system, and you're no longer a part of this. And so I was, like, in horrible, horrible pain. Like, I wanted to puke desperately bad. It just hurt so bad, and I had, like, the sort of, like, the pre-vomit coming up, like, washing the sides of my mouth with saliva and stuff. It was really gross. But I kept it down, <laughs> and so they sort of welcomed me with open arms and it was funny because I remember um, we would always use fresh brand, always brand new um, straight razors and it was always on places of the body that were either partially or entirely concealed um, the more intimate the part of the body traditionally the better um, just because it's sexier <laughs> not because there's any you know magic to it at all um, but yeah that was yeah it is weird as fuck that was, uh, that was an interesting time. So, 
I bridged the gap between the families, but that wasn't all. I did what they wanted, which I didn't want to do in the first place because I didn't even want to be a vampire, part of their fucking families. I didn't even like vampires. And so I was insistent that they help me with mine. But apparently my bridging caused a greater schism with what Emily's family's like um, guy in charge. He got real butthurt that some other dude was coming in swinging his virtual, you know, Johnson in his home and he didn't like the idea. Um, and he certainly didn't like me, and I didn't give him any reason to. And so there was some, like, repair that needed to happen or acceptance within the family before they could then help me get my friend. That took months. So that's months of me going along with all their bullshit that I didn't like, slowly starting to buying into it, very cult-like, um, believing more and more of it, and then, of course, spreading out amongst other people in... Uh, like, you know, drinking blood and stuff like that. And here's the thing about the blood, because I want to be clear about this. We always use clean razors. Um, we never tested anyone, but we only drank from people we knew, though that didn't mean anything. It was just literally rolling the dice. Um, none of us contracted any diseases or STDs or anything from it. And so we were incredibly lucky, especially in the 90s. Um, it was just, I, I, I really dodged a whole lot of bullets, and I would never, never sanction, condone, or recommend anyone do anything like that because it is not good. It is not safe. It is very, very dangerous. Now that that's done with that. Um, so in the months be between, you know, the reparation, you know, sort of the repairing of the, the broken family ties and such, uh, I was introduced to other friends who I became a little bit closer with. Um, one of them uh, introduced me to Danzig and the Misfits. Like I knew Danzig tangentially, you know, just through like radio music, but I never really got into like Sam Hain and, and the Misfits. So as soon as he came into my life, um, it was a big part of it. And he was already in the family of Samantha's family. Um, and so we became really, really close. So close, at one point, uh, a friend of his was invited to uh, a hotel room in Salt Lake City where this guy was taking photos of them supposedly for like pornography um, to like test shots for porn. Ultimately what that guy was doing was just taking photos of young boys and drugging them and raping them. But at the time we didn't know that. The drugs, you know, there was like rupees or something like that where they didn't really recall what happened. They just know that they had a shot to get in porn and they wanted to. And I was asking my now wife, um, but girlfriend at the time, like, what do you think? Should I go and do this? Would it be fun? You know, I could make some money. And, you know, I had no prospects at the time. Again, I was living in a drug den. I was believing in cult behavior type stuff. And I was really risky with my health and the type. Like, I, for, just for an example, I was at a coffee bar, which was sort of the hangout for young kids back in the day. Um, and this guy just came up and sat next to me. He was like, hey, I got a bunch of acid. I don't want it. Do you want it? I'll sell it to you for 20 bucks. I was like, hell yes. Didn't know him. Didn't know if it was real. I just took what he gave me and I gave it to me and all my friends and we all got incredibly high. And it was, it was, it was really strong and we got really, really messed up for, for hours. Um, of course, acid's like a 12-hour trip. Um, really risky behavior that you don't think about. You know, it's not like it was a drug dealer who I knew someone who had used, you know, pervade their wares for years or something like that. It's just a rando. It could have been poison. I mean, it is technically poison, but it could have been like literal poison. I could have just killed me and all my friends for all I knew, but I wanted to get high. But that's the type of lifestyle I was living. So I had zero prospects. Um, 
It was the military that really saved my life, ultimately, but this was before that. So, um, all right, hold on. Unless you're after them Red Wings. <laughs> there you go. Um, sorry, I'm trying to look at your notes as well. It was, when you're in it, Inoki, it was fun. Uh, in reflection, it was really damn scary. <laughs> okay. So, um, um, the months were going by. I, I got interested, uh, um, sort of friendly with this new guy. And he told me that we didn't have to wait. He could, you know, help me out. Now, the entire back story of this whole vampire thing was... Um, the idea of immortality, the, the idea of living forever uh, was one of guardianship. So there's these entities that, you know, I guess Christians would refer to them as guardian angels. These people very unartistically referred to them as guardians. And they weren't there to influence you or steer you in the right direction, but they were present if you weren't doing what you probably should be doing in your life. You know, if you were on the, the wrong track, and that is to imply that there is supposedly a right track. But if you were on the wrong track of your life, then they would be there, able to hear you if you decided to contact them. Um, mine, mine's name was Yulian, and we ultimately were, you know, sort of um, introduced, I was introduced to them through this vampire family. Um, the idea of this guardian actually did me a whole lot of good because ultimately it was my self-conscious, my, my conscious mind of keeping me from going to the deep, off the deep end. Because I was so willing to go to any lengths and do anything ridiculous and dangerous just because I had nothing to lose. I was a stupid kid, you know? Um, I thought I was invincible. I mean, almost literally. So it actually ended up psychologically being a good thing for me to believe in that sort of entity. Um, but ultimately, what I was told is that, look, let's reach out again and let's see if he's still uh, in the void. If he's still in the void, let's reach out to the Guardians and let's see if they'll help you out. Um, and ultimately, I, it, it was such a, such a visceral experience because up until this point, all of the Ouija board sessions of contacting spirits and stuff, I didn't really believe any of it. I, I thought it was all nonsense. I thought it was the other person doing everything. I had grown up with Ouija boards, and so, I, you know, we'd use them to varying success, whatever that means, um, with all my friends and stuff. But ultimately, it's not something that I was, like, firmly, like, yes, this is real it, at all. It just wasn't, you know? So I went into it very skeptical, and then I, I contacted my, my friend, and I immediately felt... I have these memories of walking through middle school in the halls in the morning before class looking for my friends. And that's just what we did. We rode different buses to the school and we'd walk the halls until we saw each other and we'd hang out for a little bit and then go to class when the bell rang. Um, so I was walking these halls looking for him and then I'd see him at the end of the hall and this sense of joy would wash over me. Like, it's my friend. I found my friend. And so you, you know, you run up to each other and you're just like talking about what happened that night and, you know, whatever you're going to do throughout the day and, you know, whatever, whatever kids talk about. That's what we were doing. But that sense of joy that I always felt seeing him in school, I had when I connected with him through the Ouija board. And so I immediately, all disbelief dropped out of my mind. I was 100% sold. Like this, I'm talking with my friend and I was literally breaking down, weeping, tears, 
like staining the Ouija board. And my friend who was like sort of guiding me through this, I think he was full of shit, but he saw my reaction, which was not full of shit. It was a real. And he started getting second thoughts like, oh shit, this is, either this is dangerous for him as a human being for me to take him down this road, or I've really tapped into something real here. You know, like he, it, it, it threw him for a loop. And it certainly threw me for one. So from that second on, I was like, yeah, this is real. He is really there. I talked to him. I know that feeling that I get when I talk to him. And it's, that, that's my fucking friend. So we talked with each other for a little bit. And I said, look, um, and it ultimately came down to this idea, like, like you can't take someone out of the void. You can't. You, uh, you can trade places with them. Like when you die, you will then be taken to the void. But the fact is, is there has to be um, ironically, there has to be a presence in the void. <laughs> Reflection makes no sense. You can't just take something out without putting something back, was the rule. And so I said, you know what, for him, I'm going to live my life as, as fulfilling as possible, and then I will take his place so that he has an opportunity to, to live his life as, as fulfilling as possible, because he took his life too early. He was just a kid. So, um, all fucking crazy shit we did back as teens and early 20s for sure mercy for sure <laughs> uh so um i agreed i was like yeah i'll take your place i have no problem with that and he's like that's awesome um i'm going to you know if you get me out of here i will be resurrected uh, in some you know different form and for whatever reason they're like yeah i'm gonna be an asian man and i will meet you again but you won't know who i am that, it's weird to have all that conveyed on the Ouija board, but we did, and I believed it. It was very strange. So um, that night, I sort of talked with the, the two families. And I was like, look, this is going to happen. We need to make this happen. I literally contacted him, not like before, because I didn't feel like it was him before, but I felt it now. So this is real. This is close. This is intimate with, between me and my friend. We need to make this happen tonight. And so they were on the phone all night and there was like landlines back then, you know? So you had to wait for someone to finish their call before you could get on a call. And so it was like, you know, phone call tag between a whole bunch of people to sort of make things right so that this could end up happening. And again, it was months. It took forever. I agreed to do this shit months ago. Give me mine, damn it. So um, that night I had this really crazy dream. Anticlimactic, not as bad as her dream apparently, because she looks like she's not enjoying that. Or maybe enjoy... Oh, she's enjoying it. Yeah, look at the devil. Yeah, dude. He's like, hey, baby. Come on. Let's go. There's a club. It's a brand new club. Come on. I got tickets, man. Let's do this, baby. <laughs> so awesome. Mm-hmm. The devil's companion can be young and beautiful. She is often old, poor, and miserable. Old crones. They're going to get to the point where they're like rubbing blood and ointments on each other and stuff. It gets kind of crazy. Um, so the crazy dream was that um, it was like this sort of... It's what I would imagine space looks like. You know, like there's in the distance there's sort of bodies, you know, like planets or whatever. But ultimately it's just like this emptiness. And it was me just sort of in this incorporeal, it wasn't like me, me, you know, it was just like my essence or whatever. And on either side in this sort of tunnel into the void were all of the guardians of the members of the families. 
And all I did, because they were protecting me, because ultimately if you go out here on your own, you're, you're going to be trapped by some other, you know, we already talked about otherworldly entities. And so this is the only way to safely do it, which is why I had to wait for all the families to agree to do it, because they had to, you know, tell their guardians to help me. Um, so they created this barrier of protection for me. And so it was very anticlimactic. I just went into the void and ultimately it was like this little box, this little black, like, like a six-sided dice, you know, like a little cube. And um, I just opened it and he was there and he was like all sort of like, did you guys ever see um, the Don't Cry video from Guns N' Roses in the 90s? It was like that, where he was like in this sort of fetal position, naked, looking up as I cracked it open, and then he, he came out and he just instantly disappeared. And I just had this sensation of, oh shit, this is my home after I die. Like, oh shit. And then I woke up, and that was it. And I, and I went to my friend, and I was like, it happened. And I explained everything that I dreamed about, and he was like, yeah, yeah, they made sure it was safe for you. I was like, but I kind of wanted a little bit of excitement. <laughs> I went through all this shit for months and that's it. It was just a dream and that, and then now it's done. And like, I don't know. I wanted something more, something more tangible. I was very distraught. It was not a very cool thing. Um, and so I just sort of lived with this idea in the back of my head, right? Not only that once I die, I'm going to now have to take the place of my friend in the void, but also that there's this, this guardian out there who, who, if I need him, I can then communicate with him. And it's not like he's gonna tell me what to do or anything, but he's there, he's, he's a, a comforting presence, as it were. Um, and then, uh, oh geez, where'd it go next? It got to a point where um, I started reading the Satanic Bible more, uh, more frequently and over and over again, right? So it, it got to the point where I, I first came into the idea of Satanism as wanting it to be what I told it, it was. Um, and that is, you know, there's a devil and you can, you know, it was, it was everything the Christians believe in. And that's what I thought it was going to be. And so that's, I bought the Satanic Bible finally after so many years of, of hearing about it as a young kid. And I, this was in high school, actually, when I bought it. So I brought with it all of this occult baggage. So my understanding of what was in the book was colored by my perspective. I didn't read it for what was on the page, I read it for what I wanted to be on the page. And so it was very distorted and very different. Um, so when I went back after having experienced all this crazy shit uh, and started reading it and started deconstructing the crazy in my mind and started realizing that, ah, there's a little bit of like sanity that I can still cling to. Like the world is not as, in, the universe is not as crazy as I thought it was. It's crazy, and there's no denying that it's crazy, but everything that I thought was there was all just in my head. It was all manufactured. It was all as fake as the Necronomicon was, right? That whole vampire family thing, that was all made up and fake. It wasn't real. Um, that, that dream that I had, the, the Ouija board connections that I had. Um, oh yeah, and then also that right there, that Ouija board is one that I, I had made during that. It was a I was on cocaine and just sort of burned it out one night. But I would use that for years to sort of torment people and just have fun on their, you know, in, with their ignorance. Um, but uh, it was the Satanic Bible that allowed me to deconstruct a lot of that. And so I went back to this idea of, well, if everything that I believed is a lie, 
But this is telling me that I can, I can be as connected with the primal darkness that is inherent in reality as I want to be connected to it. Um, it felt so much more real to me than any of this other nonsense that I could return to being that beast that I always saw myself before as, you know? I didn't have to try to act like I was not that anymore. I didn't have to pretend um, around certain people to be something else. I could just accept that, no, this, this is who I am. I, I'm a werewolf and I'm a beast, I'm an animal. And I got really sort of obsessed with the idea of turning into a werewolf. Um, Ruth, I, it's hard for me to say because um, there were times when I, I clearly felt like they knew they were making stuff up to placate me because I was asking a lot of questions that either no one else asked or, you know, they never thought of. And so I was always keeping them on their toes with information that they claimed to have but clearly didn't have. So I know that they were trying to make stuff up in the moment, but I think they believed it. Like, I, I honestly think they believed everything that they said. It's just... It's this confirmation bias idea. You know, you get a whole bunch of people together, you start believing this cult-like ideas, and even though you know maybe it's kind of made up, it becomes very real if more people believe it. So that's kind of how it was. Um, so yes and no, you know. Um, so that's when I started hanging out a lot more with my friend Gabriel, who is another one of my friends that passed this past year that I did an in-memoriam for. And... He and I would sit around hours, um, you know, for weeks, just talking about Satanism, talking about being a werewolf, talking about carnal nature of mankind, talking about the boundaries between reality and magic, the occult experiences that all of our other friends were experiencing at the exact same time. And they were still trying to draw us back into, or draw me back into. For some reason, he was able to sort of stay on the periphery of everything. Um, he was just too cool <laughs> to believe any of the bullshit. But he was interested enough to talk about it. Um, and so he took my, um, I think it was the Devil's Notebook that had How to Become a Werewolf in it. At least my copy of it. I think that's what it was. It's on my shelf. I could look. But um, anyway, he took the book with it, that essay in it, and he tried it out. Uh, he went into an open field and, you know, he found this place that he felt eerie and he like masturbated out in the open and some dude came walking up on him while he was in the middle of it. He didn't stop. And the dude realized that he wasn't alone in this field. Like he just felt the weird sexual energy of my friend in the, like the weeds. And he just turned around and like sort of ran away. And so my friend literally claimed this territory for his own. I would then try these these ideas out in the woods so that I wouldn't have someone walk up on me <laughs> because what if they didn't leave? And then you're just sitting there with it in your hand going, uh, I can't do it while you're watching. <laughs> like, move along. <laughs> it's just like wild. Um, yeah, the cojones of him. He was, he was such a cool dude. So cool. Um, but uh, yeah, and then we'd prank call psychics and it just got to a point where I was, I was folding Satanism into my reality infinitely more than the other nonsense. And for some reason, my mind only had room for, <laughs> for one thing. So every bit more information that I learned the reality about Satanism 
of, it pushed out some more nonsense. And so there was an overlap period where I tried to mix the idea of Satanism with this other nonsense. And I knew I couldn't make it fit, but I still tried because, again, I had such a huge catharsis on me. You know, going through all that nonsense, as, as ridiculous and scary and dangerous as it was, I, I kind of needed something to get me past that suicide. I needed to get on the other side of it. And it helped me. Probably not the healthiest way. Um, and so, again, the more Satanism that I understood, and I think that word is the most important part, the less nonsense I believed, and the more strange things got. So I realized that I couldn't just hang out with these people for the rest of my life and do drugs and, you know, be dangerous, um, you know, engage in dangerous activity like I was forever. And so, again, I had no prospects. I knew I had to go to college. My parents had already said that they would not help me at all with college. And so my only option was to join the military. Well, by that time, I already had sigil of Baphomet on my back. Um, I had three sixes on my finger. Uh, I was already marked by the devil, right? And so when they take you in for your physical, you know, you're, you're naked. And so they see all my ink. They say, hold on. A guy comes in. He's like, why do you have the go to Mendez on you? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a Satanist. I thought like an idiot that because we had freedom of religion, it wouldn't matter if I wanted to serve in the military as a Satanist, but I was wrong. They wholesale rejected me because of my tattoos. They sent pictures of my tattoos um, to uh, the base commanders for the training grounds. I think it was in Texas. It was the Air Force that I was trying to get into. And they said, no, you cannot come in. We will not allow you. Um, we're starting a new family policy, and your tattoos are just outside of the grain. It didn't matter that they were hidden. It didn't matter that there was people with crosses on their forearm, forearms getting physicals right next to me. They were approved, but mine, of course, Satanism, they didn't want it. And so um, I uh, talked to my father, who is a retired captain, uh, captain, a retired army captain, uh, decorated war hero. He reached out to some of the training base commanders uh, in the army that he knew, and they were both Mormons. And so ironically, it was Mormons that allowed a Satanist to get into the U.S. Army because they were going to reject me as well. If it wasn't for the intervention of my, my, my stepfather, but my father, um, I would never, and if it wasn't for Mormons, I would never have gotten in the military. It turned out it was the best thing for me because it allowed me to go to college. It allowed me to um, get the career that I have and have the life that I have, you know, free from all the insanity that I was uh, knee deep in at the time. But my military time did not end the, the play of the occult for me. So like I mentioned about the Ouija board in, in basic training, you know, you, you have open shower bays, and so people saw my uh, satanic tattoos. I had one guy, uh, his last name was Wolf, and he was obsessed with me. He was convinced that he uh, was possessed by a demon, and I'm not entirely unsure that he wasn't because of his behavior was really erratic and insane at some times. He had this wife who was a stripper, and she was like a nympho. She just wanted to fuck every single soldier on the base, and she fucked a lot of the classmates, too. She tried to fuck me, but I didn't like <laughs> I'm not into that. Um, and I'm certainly not into her. She's just a weird person. Um, and I was married at the time, too, so of course I had reason not to besides everything else. Uh, so it got to a point where we were like, hey, let's move out of the uh, training barracks. Let's move off base. This was in Augusta, Georgia. I was in Signal. 
And I would have some of the soldiers on weekends when we had time off come over and then we would uh, play the Ouija board. I'd make, and, you know, I, I felt a lot safer because everyone was tested for HIV and, and different diseases and stuff in the military. And so I felt a lot safer doing it, but I had to like just bleed all over the boards and stuff. And I thought that they could handle it in a way that I handled it. Like very solipsistic of it. I thought they were, if they're soldiers, they're capable of handling a little bit of crazy, you know, otherworldly stuff. I didn't believe what I was telling them, but I knew at one time I did, and so I knew that other people would. And they took it very, very seriously to, to levels that were really dangerous. Wolf wanted me to teach him to be one of the vampires, and um, I knew enough about all of it to keep him lured on, to sort of use him as a, a pawn. You know, I get him to do whatever I want, and he kind of worships me and stuff. Um, and, you know, I just give him enough, I feed him just enough for him to feel okay with it. He ends up taking a straight razor and cutting open his chest one night, and there's this gaping wound in his chest. And he would take cigarettes, and he would put them out on his chest, and he would speak in tongues. I mean, he was, he was a messed up dude. And it only escalated when I started introducing him to the Ouija board and talking to him about these vampire cults and like getting all really kind of into it. So I felt really responsible, but I also didn't really care that much. <laughs> if I'm being 100% honest, I thought, I mean, he was doing it to himself. Crazy is as crazy does, you know? If it wasn't me, it was someone else <laughs> getting him to do all this insane stuff. Um, okay, so you say when you went into the National Guard, you had one tattoo visible on your left wrist. You were told that if you said it was religious other than Christian, Jewish, Islamic, or Buddhist, you'd have to get a psych exam. Whoa! Yeah, you know what? I have some other, I'm going to get to these in a second, but I got some other religious references of military experience too. Um, where are we in the film, by the way? Are you guys watching this? God, I haven't even been watching it. I feel like I've been talking too much. Oh, we're getting to um, calling other people witches. That's great. Uh, so ultimately, like, he cut open his chest, and I was just tired, so I didn't want to take him to the doctor. And, I was, and I, he didn't have a car. I had a car at the time. And maybe his, his girlfriend or his wife, I mean, was... Maybe she was working that night or something, so he didn't have a car. So um, I, just, I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. Just put a Band-Aid on it. So he had this huge butterfly scar going down his chest because I was too lazy to take him to the doctor when he was like in one of his madness fits. But before we moved off base, I would have these, I was really obsessed about being a, a werewolf. Um, just after going through all those experiences and stuff and, and really, really appreciating that essay that the doctor wrote. Um, we, uh, we were in the middle, and, and we shared bunks with this former priest. It was just a kid, but he, he like had a congregation and everything. He was from, um, I think he was from like Alabama or, or Mississippi or somewhere down south. Um, it was just a little small town, and he was just sort of the priest. And so he was like this Christian in the bunk, but as soon as he went to bed, we would just start talking about devil shit, right? Um, and so it got to a point where um, these, uh, I, I really started fucking with this kid, um, and I probably shouldn't have because I think it did really kind of mess him up in life. I still don't feel guilty about it, but at least I do accept it. <laughs> this probably, it's not all my fault. 
but a little bit. Um, we had the, the window open and he felt like this entity crawled through the barracks to his bunk and he couldn't get up. He was trapped, he was being confined and held. And so I performed this sort of mock ritual right there in front of him. Um, and it like freed him. And that was like the catalyst of him being 100% in my pocket at all times. He, he, he told me once, he was like, I fucking hate you and I want to beat you to death, but I need you, so I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I really got this guy in my pocket. And the truth is, is, it got to a point where we were, we just didn't stop, we didn't talk at all anymore because we ended up hating each other so much. Um, but he still really wanted whatever it was he saw in me that, as his own, you know what I mean? Um, but it was little moments like that that we would share. These sort of, it doesn't make any sense, he's confined, I walk toward him and I sort of free him from his madness. Um, whether it's him speaking a demonic tongue or whether he's confined on a bed or whatever it is. And we would have these experiences for their entire training duration. Um, I, in fact, you know, when I first went into the military uh, that first day in basic training, they were asking different religions and they were telling you, you know, where you could go on Sunday, what buses to take to go uh, worship and stuff. And I was like, I'm a Satanist, so I don't really, you know, I don't need anything. And people lost their shit. They're just like, oh my gosh, you're a, what? My, my drill master loved it. He was always into Dante's Inferno. Like he was really into like hell imagery. And so he had me paint a mural and I wrote a, and a passage from the book of Satan on it. And it was just our sort of uh, this massacre of all the enemies impaled on spikes with this uh, quote underneath it. It was actually a, a pretty cool little thing, but it became this legend um, in, in, basic training groups later on like no one would step on it no one would paint over it no one would let anyone paint over it they, uh, one person stepped on it and later they broke their leg and so it got even more notoriety like oh it's cursed or something right and so I just had this legacy of uh, just like authority that was given to me by other people simply by identifying with this religion I didn't really have to do anything it was just Given, people just gave me authority over them. It was a very strange experience. Um, I was very lucky. I was lucky in almost everything I ever did. <laughs> I, I mean, how much is it, how much can it be luck if it happens so often? You know, some of it's got to be a little bit of talent, a whole lot of confidence, and a lot of balls. <laughs> you know, you've got to have some balls. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, I went to my first duty station, which was in Fort Knox, Kentucky, and uh, I was, again, signal, and so I was attached to a training platoon, and so I was in this platoon of basically mechanics, and officers would be sent to our uh, battalion, and we would take them out, teach them how to use M1A1 tanks, and I would repair the comm systems when they would go down, and that was kind of my life. One night... Um, we had to camp out there at the training, so all the officers went back to their hotel rooms, and we sat out in the you know the dirt under a pup tent, and uh, we had one of our officers. His name was Castleton. He was a really cool dude. My dog hated him though, so he was probably a little messed up. And he always tried to get me to eat ass. It was weird. He was he was like he was really into eating his wife's ass, and he I, he really wanted other people to be into it too. And I was like, no, I'm not. That's not really, no. 
I have no interest. I'm not, and he was like, no, do this and that and that, and it's okay, it's safe, and it's to taste like this. It's like, nope, I don't, I don't care, I don't care. Anyway, that was his MO. He always wanted to live in that. Um, but other than that, he was really cool, <laughs> which is, is kind of weird. Um, this is, my military was 1997 to 2001, so five years, 2002, it was five years. Um, I got out in 2002, so I went in on April Fool's Day. Totally appropriate, I think. Um, but anyway, this, so this was like 97, 98, because it was 98 that I ended up going to Germany. So this was in the fall of 98. So we were out there. They, uh, Castleton went and picked up a bottle of Jack, and he brought back to the, the, all the mechanics and me, the comm guy, and we just drank a lot. And I was like, you guys want to have a satanic ritual? I knew it wasn't going to be real. I know, you know, not, not real as in satanic rituals aren't real, but not real as in I'm not, my head's not in it. So I'm not going to do something authentic. And these are Christians. So this is just me scaring them in the middle of the night in this field where we're the only people in it, in the middle of Kentucky, right? So uh, they were like, yeah, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be safe? I was like, it's going to be very safe. Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but they believed me. And so they trusted me, which was their first problem. Um, so I ended up getting one of our canteen cups and pouring a whole, body, whole bunch of Jack Daniels in it and getting everyone to cut themselves and bleed into the Jack Daniels. Don't do it. Don't anyone ever do it. Not a good idea. Um, I was not going to drink any of this, and I made the excuse that, well, if I'm the officiator in this, then there's no, I can't drink. Only the participants can drink. I'm going to control this situation. So they already were in the mindset that I'm going to take them on a strange journey, right? They wanted to have an experience, and I was willing to give it to them. So <laughs> I, uh, whoa, what are we watching? I hope that's cocoa butter. I hope she's just a little ashy. So I perform as much of the um, invocation to Satan as I can remember, enough to feel like they definitely bought it, and they clearly definitely bought it. And there was people, there was members of them. Like there's this one guy from Dominican Republic uh, who was very religious. He was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't want to do this. But the other guys pressured him into doing it. And so he drank all their blood too. Uh, everyone just drank each other's blood. And they just did it. And I was just like, this is what being in control of other humans is like. This is awesome. Uh, I totally ate it up. So, you know, I explained to them what they could experience if they gave in to the power of the moment and allowed Satan to instill a little bit. Much like this, where they were rubbing like baby's blood on the witches and then they could fly. This was that sort of vicarious experience of um, them believing that they could do and feel sort of the other world, you know, the other side, evil, darkness, whatever, power, if they did what I said. And so they did, and they all participated in it as much as I wanted them to, and then they all got high. Like, they, they were acting, again, when I was in high school, I thought I was on morphine, and it was just numbing cold sore gel. They just had some Jack Daniels mixed with their own blood and they thought they were high. They were running around the field, just going crazy, screaming, chasing each other, like stripping naked, just going insane wild. And I'm just sitting here 
with this canteen cup going, what am I going to do with this? I'm not drinking this shit. Like, they just ruined all the Jack Daniels. They had an incredibly good evening. The next morning, I get a phone call as soon as we get back. Oh, shit. I didn't mean to hide that. Um, the next morning, I get a phone call from Castleton, and he's like, hey, um, thanks for that experience, by the way. That was very, very cool. Uh, me and the other guys are wondering, um, do you have our souls? <laughs> he honestly thought I, I had, like, somehow stolen their souls so that they could have this experience that they experienced. It was hilarious. It was the funniest thing I ever experienced in my life. I was like, no, dude, you're good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. But I think the rest of the time I was at that duty station, in the back of their minds, they were kind of convinced that I did something to them. And I just, I was always in control. I always had authority over, you know, other people in that area. Like, they just gave it to me. And so I just kind of got used to it. And it, it got to the point where uh, I just sort of do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I had a, a nipple ring in throughout my entire military experience, and every officer, officer I ever had that saw it was like, hey, take that out. You're not supposed to have those. I was like, no. And they just let me keep it. Like, they just, they just gave me whatever I wanted. It was very, very cool. Um, so being a Satanist has worked out for me. <laughs> not only did it get me out of some insanity, but it also allowed me to take control of my own life and take control of other people's lives. Um, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And it's not like it, you know, it's not like it was effortless. I mean, I did have to convince people. I had to do a lot of soft shoeing, you know what I mean? I'd do a little tap dancing, make sure that they believed everything that I said so that they would want to do everything I told them to do. But it's uh, basic training. My entire military experience was an exercise in lesser magic. And it worked out brilliantly for me. Um, I was promoted to E5 sergeant in the first three years, which is as early as you can get it. Um, I was always in control of whatever comm shop I was in. I was always favorite of every commander and um, uh, uh, battalion commander that I ever worked with. Uh, you know, I did get in trouble, but I was always on the top, you know, in my game. So it was, it was always a good time. So yeah, that was... Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of other stories and shit that uh, maybe we'll have time to get into. But that's sort of the, the overarching <laughs> theme that I wanted to sort of cover in this, in this Halloween episode. Um, and that's not to say that everyone else is going to have or won't have the same type of experiences. But that is to say that I recognize my behavior as a kid to be incredibly dangerous and very, very risky. And I am very fortunate that I didn't end up with real problems that some of my other friends ended up having and suffering and dying from. So uh, I, 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 was, I was the fucking Neo in the Matrix, man, just like <laughs> dodging those bullets. It was awesome. Welcome, Lexi. It's good to see you. Uh, that's the other thing. No trick-or-treaters. I haven't heard anything. Usually I would hear them because I'm right next to the front door right now in my office. So... Um, Kind of a bummer <laughs> that we don't have anything yet. All right, how much time we got left in this movie here? Let me look. Do you guys have any occult experiences? Did you come into Satanism from an occult side, or is it all just atheist side? Let me know in your comments, and I'll get to them in here in a second. 
We are a little over halfway through. It looks like there's 48 minutes left in this. I should probably watch a little bit of it. I did choose it. I love old witches. Ugh. That film, The Witch, where she appears before the young boy as this super sexy woman, um, but it's only because she had stolen the baby and crushed up its bones and rubbed its blood on her so she could look that way. There's something about the old crone in the woods, that sort of Puritan era uh, witch in the woods that I love more than anything else. For, I don't know why. I, I, can't, I can't explain it, but I love the imagery. I love the idea of it. I mean, it's all nonsense and bullshit, but I still desperately love it so much. Yeah, you're right, Ruth. 100%. Oh, it's shitty for you this year too, Inoki? That sucks. Ugh. Zivich, that's right. <laughs> From when you were as a wee tot. I'd love to hear some of your old stories. We gotta get a drink sometime. I, like, it's just... I can't believe we haven't ever met before, like in person, you know? Shook hands. I think that's weird. We don't even live that far away. Just a two states. Alright, what do you say? The most occult experience you ever had was a dream in which you experienced astral projection. That's kind of cool. That's fun. Again, yeah, not very occult, but I, I do still dig it. That's, that's a lot of fun. You were in a cult as a teen. DFH, Demons from Hell. And you were just a bunch of moron worshipping kids. <laughs> well, welcome on the other side, man. <laughs> I... I, I can't blame anyone for getting into that because it was very cool. You know, that was my gateway. You know, you'd watch films. Um, first of all, it was during the Satanic Panic. Everyone believed it was real. It was in the media. People thought that shit was real. Every religious person I ever met, and I grew up in uh, Salem, Utah, which is a tiny, tiny little intimate town. Imagine M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. That's kind of what it was like. And they're like, there are witches in the woods. There are people, devil worshippers, who are killing and sacrificing animals in the woods. And so I would go play in the woods looking for them. Like, I wanted to be connected to that from a young age. I always wanted that. So desperately bad that I believed nonsense. Um, never drank blood, but you had other experiences. That's cool. I hope no one drinks blood. That's gross. <laughs> Not good. From there, would search for the opposite sides of religious tales and times. Got caught up. Real experiences too. That's cool. Stanic Panic, man. Growing up in Stanic Panic was weird. It was weird. It bugs me nowadays because now everyone thinks everything's a Stanic Panic. But if you were in it at the time, nothing nowadays is a Stanic Panic. It was everywhere. It affected every aspect of life in religious communities. It was real. Ah, well, if you do, let me know. I'll make you some barbecue if you if you eat meat, and if you don't, then I'll make you something else. Uh, let's see. As a young kid, your mother had you in many Christian cults all over the U.S. Yeah, and here's the other thing. Everyone always talks about crazy cults, but let's not forget that Christians owned and created the whole cult thing. Judaism was a cult in ancient Rome. Like, that's, that's what Christianity came out of, was a cult. It was illegal, it was underground, it was a secret. If you found, were found out, you were literally thrown to lions. <laughs> literally. 
It was the Christians that were fucking killed because they were a cult. They started as a cult. They are still a cult. Like if you ever talk about anything ever being a cult, Christians have been there from the beginning. Just insane. Your partner survived the stand-up panic, one of the OG COS members. He laughs at the Satanists now, thinking it's gonna happen again. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have to be open to the idea that it could, because otherwise we'd be forgetful of past orthodoxy, right? You always have to be aware that things can get crazy. You know, we saw some crazy years just a couple years ago where a lot of stuff was sort of like, well, what if this happens? You know, we're really close to X or Y um, being a reality. So it's not impossible. We just have to be rational about it. That's all. Let's see. You start off in a Catholic family with a belief in the old tales from Poland and Ireland. When you're about 12, you finally came out saying you denied Christianity. Ooh, that had to be hard. In an Irish Catholic family, that had to be hard. Coming occultism in New Age because of ridiculously hot girl. No shame. <laughs> we, we do, guys and girls who like girls, or like anyone, anyone who likes anyone will do some insane things to get in their pants. <laughs> it's just like we will, we will move heaven and earth. <laughs> we will believe in heaven <laughs> in order to get some loving. Now they go, you're a cult. Yeah, exactly. It's just projection. Chicks who wear lashes will have to do amazing <laughs> Lashes. People who get lashed. Look. Old girls getting beat. That's messed up. Oh, that's a dude. Sorry, dude. That's brutal. I was getting like a shoulder and back. Usually I thought it was just from the back. <laughs> Lexi. Hey, as long as you're in control of them, they, they're not all bad. They don't have to be all that bad. He definitely looked like he was into it, right, Brad? He beats me again. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. A witch appears in his cell to tempt him. That was my, that was my apartment. The, the witch came from the closet. I'm telling you, that succubus was real. I felt it. That's why, like, that scene in, I think it was Amityville Horror. Like, the original Amityville Horror, I think... Like a spirit raped a girl. I was like, yeah, that's real. <laughs> I experienced that. Like, that's a, th I, I believe that. I was just like, yeah, no, that's totally, that's a thing. <laughs> it was crazy. Good times. You believe such insanity. You really do. It's kind of cool. There was, like, we, we had talked about, um, writing it all down in like books and stuff but at, whenever I would go to like the any bookstore and go to the new age or occult section all the authors had like weird names it was like darkness incantationist you know just like weird occult nicknames there was never like a, 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 a Terry Smith that wrote occult books you know, it was always some weird, dark thing. They always all came out of weird cult, like, you know, dark, satanic corners of the world. And they got over it. And then they wrote books about it. And I was like, 
I don't want to be like that, though. I don't want to be that guy. You know, this like, oh, I came out of the other side of this insanity, and th these are all the rules of it, and I don't know. I was like, I don't, they're all losers. I don't want to be a loser, you know? It's the same re reason I didn't bring up the big lawsuit with um, the government that my stepdad was trying to get me to, to go to the ACLU and get and start. He's like, look, they, I don't like that you're a Satanist. In fact, I, I don't think you should be, but that's a legal right that you have in this country. The military cannot deny you. You can go to the ACLU and you can actually fight the government. They may never pay you anything, but you can fight the government over this. And he was like, I will help you if that's what you want to do. And I thought about it. It was like really thinking about it. I was like, but I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be the, the complainer that rather than traverses the world on their own will and power, cries about it until they're given some sort of restitution. You know, I didn't want to play that victim role in life. I just wanted to be in control of my life. And if that meant that I had to lean on a Mormon to get me to go into college, uh, get me to go in the military so that I could then earn my way into college and, you know, become a professional in the world, then, then I'll do that. But that's based on my willpower, my desire, and me being on top. That's not me whining and crying until someone gave it to me, you know? And that's what I felt like I would be. I didn't want that. Let's see, you did a brief stint in super conservative libs Southern Baptist cult because you really was into the preacher's son. <laughs> oh man, they make us do some crazy things. <laughs> I have to be honest with you though. Those, every footage that I've ever seen about Baptist churches where they're like dancing and singing and clapping, Kind of makes me want to go. <laughs> I, I love singing and dancing. I think it would be a lot of fun. I wouldn't believe any of it, but I would have a hell of a good time, I feel like. But if it's just me being yelled at by some dude at the podium, then I don't want to go. But if I can get up and like move, then eh, I might, uh, might want to go. <laughs> I might join a church just to dance. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Your father had the strength to accept your position even though he disagreed with it. They firmly, my parents, they, my whole family, like, ostracized me. My, my mom lost her shit. Like, she freaked out. She went and like, she was, like, destroying my bedroom, screaming, you can't have him, Satan! You can't have Like, she was freaking the fuck out. And I, like, showed her the stand-up album, like, read this! It is not what you're saying it is! And she's like, those are all lies! Satan's a liar! Everything's a lie! <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was years before my sisters would, like, even, like, act like I was their brother again. It was crazy. Not all my sisters. One of my sisters is very cool about it. You've been to those Baptist churches. It is fun. Are they followed by a three-hour sermon? No, no, no. I couldn't. Okay, no. It's off the table then. No. Can't do three hours. Um, until I was eight, I, my parents are Mormon, and so I went to the Mormon church. Uh, I got baptized, and then I was like, I'm out. This, I can't do this anymore. And my parents were cool enough that they, they let me stay home and watch Willow. 
which is awesome. Uh, so I was, like, you go, you sit through, like, the, I guess it would be considered the sermon, right? And then you're sent to, like, a Sunday school room. So you're sent to another classroom where some barely adult is telling you about the religion. So it's, like, two classes, one, like, two settings. Like, can't you just do the one? Can't you just sit down for the hour, get yelled at, and then, like, leave? And here's the other thing that's weird about Mormon churches. No one claps. Like if someone is up there giving a killer singing performance or something and they're done, no one claps. It's just silence. It's just crickets. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's... <laughs> Fervently nod my head and <laughs> congratulations. I don't, it's weird. It's so quiet and creepy. My, um, uh, my mom was a, a teacher in graphic arts uh, for a few years when I was a kid, and she had a student who was uh, in the Scottish Pipe Band, the Utah Scottish Pipe Band. And I got way into uh, his music and stuff, but she took him to uh, her church and had him play the bagpipes. Like this huge, you know, I mean, the, the churches are very ambient, very echoey and everything. You can imagine the piercing bagpipes in that you know space very, uh, you know, like, powerful. But Amazing Grace on Bagpipes is goddamn beautiful. It'll bring a tear to your eye. It's so beautiful. And when he's done, my parents, they just had to clap because it was like they knew him and they brought him here, and so they were the only people clapping. And other than that, it was just fucking silence. It's so awkward and weird. Mormons are fucking weird, man. Hey, Ashley, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. The methods don't clap either? Oh, is it any church? I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, I only base it off of my own experience, so I, I had no idea. That sucks. Why not? I feel like that's when you got to do it. That's why I always appreciate the Baptist footage I always see. Because the preacher says something, and if you agree with it, you're like, Amen! Hallelujah! <laughs> you know? You're like vocalizing your consent, and there's a whole lot of... You know, you're into it. You're having fun. Very different than mine. All right, so Ruth is right. No clapping in any church. Another reason to fuck church. That's weird. Show your appreciation for people. It takes no effort from you. It literally takes nothing from you. And if you enjoyed it, why not let them know? Like, it's... I don't get it. It's weird. Grandma, the book is the devil luring you into hell and you will suffer eternal damnation. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you should be like, yeah, I'm hearing it right now. You are my eternal damnation, mamma. <laughs> Three hours, that's bananas. That's just bananas. Got families that are heading a charismatic cult. Never met them, though. What's a charismatic cult? Just good-looking people? Is it, is it called Instagram? <laughs> They're called influencers. <laughs> Jehovah's Witness sit and stand a lot. I don't want to do exercise at a church. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like at a Baptist church, it's not exercise. You're just having fun. But if you have to, like, stand up and sit down a lot, those are called squats. I'm not... I'll do that on my own time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do my squats for Jesus. All right? Just put it out there. I don't do squats for Jesus. <laughs> 
Yeah, church is an entertainment. That's fair. It's torture. It's fucking is. Oh, man. Charismatic cult. I still want to know what that looks like. I imagine it's probably like what we do in the shadows, that exercise cult that Nandor joined this last season. <laughs> so funny. Like pulling their fangs out and they're just like fucking doing sweat into the oldies and shit. Ugh. Do you guys watch what we do in the shadows? If you don't, you're you're missing out on some hilarious shit. It's amazing. It just finished, um, and it's it's so good. It's so good. Ugh. They feel the reverence. It's PT for Jeebus. <laughs> I'm gonna make that shirt PT for Jeebus and just go to the gym and see what be, if I get approached at all. I do PT for Jeebus. It's evil to seek praise for what? Yeah, but but if you give it, is that evil? <laughs> All glory goes to God. Fuck that. That that makes me so angry. So angry. All the glory goes to God, but when I fuck up, where is he? Well, that's all me. Okay, but what about when I win? That's you. But when I lose, it's me? No, 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 no. If you're taking the fucking dibs on my glory, you're getting my shit, too. Like, that's just how it's got to be. You can't have one without the other. All right? This is how the game works. I fuck up. That's you. I win. That's me. <laughs> you cannot be in tears. <laughs> oh, man. Jim Jones is a charismatic cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. Although, looking at him, I'm... I can't believe it, you know? But people, that's the thing. Like, people are always like, Hitler was so charismatic in his speaking. All right. Not the footage I've seen. <laughs> but I'll believe you, <laughs> you know? It's the eye of the beholder, a lot of this stuff. It's very, very crazy. It's about the living preacher, not the scripture. All right, well, I think it's all bullshit. It's as bullshit as my vampire shit. Or it's as real as my vampire shit. 100%. If you believe that um, some dude gave his life for your sins, was killed on a cross, meanwhile, why all of his followers were watching, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I know none of you are my followers. <laughs> That's not what I'm meaning by this, but I'm just saying. If you ever run across me on a cross, get a hammer, take me down. Like, don't, don't leave me there. Just hook a brother up. I bet you money if Mary Magdalene was like, I got a crowbar, Jesus would have got off that fucking cross. Like, there's no way he's staying up there if one of his loser followers hooks the brother up. There's no way. He would have been like, oh, thank you so much. Fuck that noise. I didn't know they are going to do that. Um, let's just go have sex again. I guarantee. Because you know he was hitting that ass. You know him and Magdalene were hooking up. I mean, I'm not sure about the other 12 dudes. They might have been into dudes. Nothing wrong with that. Just saying, Jesus loved the whores. Probably a good reason for it. They're putting out. Campbell's Crusaders. <laughs> uh, international trend of historically mainstream Christian congregation. Oh, this is like homework reading your damn. <laughs> Christian congregations adopting beliefs and practices. Okay. Well, that's right from Webster's, right? 
Thank you, Sapphire. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, Rel, they are. Um, on my website, uh, ReverendCampbell.com, I have literally every episode of everything I have ever done. It's all there. So the RSS feed can't handle all of the hours of content that I've created. So it's not going to be on the RSS feed that you're going to find at like Apple Podcasts or Google Play or anything. But it is um, on my website. So anything that you want to see is on the website from the very beginning. All of the embarrassing shit that I've ever done that I'm ashamed of is on my website. And there's a little search bar so you can just search anything you want. You could pay extra for prayer shows. I was I always wanted to do a, uh, you know, like those April Fools' um, episodes where you know, like people will just kind of do the opposite just for you know April Fools. I want to do like a whole religious episode of like a Christian religion. Like I'm I'm a preacher in a Judeo Christianity sermon or something. I just do this over the top thing. I just don't know if anyone would ever watch it, and I'm not sure I want to put so much time and energy into it, you know? Like, I think it'd be kind of fun for five minutes, but for an hour? I'd have to, figure, I'd have, to have, like, guests come on and do their Christian faking, like, things, too. And then I wonder, like, Stephen Colbert, when he was doing, um, he was doing his, like, fake conservative show, I wonder if anyone would, like, believe it. Like, oh my gosh. Campbell turned Christian <laughs> like he had a bunch of like Satanists turned Christians on it we could do a whole April month just fucking with Christians and like literally send it out to all these different Christian channels all the people that send me bullshit emails and be like your email changed my life I found God and then send them the joke episode and <laughs> they believe it I don't care enough to do anything like that you know but the idea is kind of funny to me she never took you again. When a priest walked down the aisle swinging the incense and holy water, your sister starts saying a loud voice, Oh, it burns. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. These stupid bat wings won't stay up. Come on now. All right, that is, this is the other thing. You gotta hand it to the Spanish Inquisition as far as like coming up with fucked up torture techniques. They were at the height at the top of their game, that Spanish Inquisition. They did some messed up stuff. The wrists and ankles of the accused were tied to two iron rods screwed to the floor. A fireball was put under the victim. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That's where it comes from. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> I like to get fucked up and do some fucked up shit. I bet you do, goober. My name's G-Ober. Fucking asshole. I just watched that last night. <clears throat> My son came and visited me, which is awesome. <clears throat> I miss him. Uh, 
I was, we were like, you know, doing the trick or treat door thing, and I was like, well, what do you guys want to watch for Halloween? And he was like, let's do House of a Thousand Corpses. There's no better Halloween film than House of a Thousand Corpses. It's perfect. It's got all the sounds you want from a Halloween film. You know, the screams and the laughing and the, you know, the, the torture and stuff. It's got the visuals of a comic book. Great messed up story. I dig the acting. I mean, Sid Haig, come on. Come on. It was great. I had such a good time. And then he went left. He went to his home and he was like, oh boy. <laughs> God, again. Damn it. Now he's saying he wants to move to fucking Texas. Fucking Texas. I'll never see him if he goes to Texas. Fuck Texas. If he moves to Texas, I'm gonna drive him there. Like, I'll, I'll rent a U-Haul and tie his car to the back of it, and we'll just spend 10 or however many hours, 12 hours, 15 hours, driving to Texas so I can just spend at least a little bit of time with him before I never see him again. And he gets swallowed by fucking uh, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something, you know? in your bum hole. <laughs> I'm sure Texas is wonderful. I, I, I have nothing personally against it. I just don't want my son to leave. I want, I want him to be near me. Thing is, is, like I was so rejected by my family that I raised healthy human children into adults that I, I like them. They're cool. They like me. I want to hang out with them. You know? I don't want them to leave. I want to, like, spend some time, play some board games, watch some crazy movies, you know? When he's 21, I'll take him to a strip club. Like, you know, have some fun times. If he's in Texas, I can't do that. Oh, really? It's just not pretty? I'll take you for it. I've been there. I've been to Plano, Texas for a friend and his wedding and stuff. And I was not impressed. I, the thing is, is... It's something that you take for granted if you grow up here in Utah or, or arguably Colorado as well, maybe Nevada as well in some parts, and in, in some parts of California. Mountains. You take for granted the beauty, the majesty of looking outside and seeing these glorious peaks with white caps of snow that you can just go explore and get lost in, right? Escape all civilization. Or if you just want to go to the desert and see massive sand dunes and get lost in sand dunes, you can do that too. Like, if you want to go get a sailboat and sail a freaking inland lake and never talk to anyone, you can do that here in Utah. Like, you take it for granted while you're here, and then you go somewhere else like Texas, and there's nothing. You look out into the distance, there's nothing. There's literally nothing. I went to Kentucky, and they're like, these are the mountains. Like, those are fucking mountains. Those are hills. Like, you got to see the fucking Rockies. Those are mountains. You just take it for granted. And then when you don't have it anymore, you're just like, ugh, there's nothing. There's just land and then sky. What, how, how uninteresting is that? At least Georgia. I love Georgia. Georgia had these amazing forests that we would do training in. So gorgeous. And it was just like lush foliage everywhere. I loved it so much. But I still miss mountains. There's something... There's something about it, man. There's something about it. <laughs> Even Ruth. Fuck Texas. <laughs> That's funny. 
You worked at a strip club, Ashley. I always... I wouldn't want to... I feel like everything's going to be tacky. <laughs> you know, like there's always going to be a little moisture. I just... I can't handle... I, I can't handle strip clubs. I just can't do it. The, the, there's always, in my head, there's slime everywhere. Even if there's not, there's going to be, like, slime. There's going to be, like, someone wiped down a seat so it's got that little tackiness to it. I'm going to be like, ooh, that's come. I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> Desert has mountains, too. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, California is so amazing because it has as much and more diversity of terrain than Utah does. But that's what I love about these western states is that they have this huge diversity of terrain. You go to the Midwest and you go to the East and you just have like one thing. And it's not cool. <laughs> it's not exciting. I like to have different experiences in life, you know? <laughs> Clearly, because I drank blood. Uh, let's see. Well, it's not watered down anymore here in Utah. They finally lifted that ban so you can have regular beer and in regular places. However, they still limit liquor and wine to liquor stores, which is BS. But look at these nuns. I always had like a fetish for nuns. I saw this comic strip once of these nuns, I don't know what it's called. And this was like circa 96. But it was like these this comic of these nuns sort of like during naughty doing naughty things to each other. For whatever reason, it's stuck in my head and that's I still love nuns. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. It's like, what do they do in their habits at night? I know what they do. <laughs> the devil forced us in. Hey, if you want to blame it on the devil, that's okay. Just have the camera rolling is all I'm saying. Blame whoever you want. <laughs> I'm down. The evil has a terrible power. Yeah, right. He forced me to do what I want to do least. No, no, that's not how it works. That is not how the devil works. I'm sorry. The devil forces you to do what you want most. And then you realize that it wasn't the devil at all. It was just you. And there's no reason to have shame. There's no reason to be embarrassed, to have sorrow. We've all done crazy things that we don't want to admit to. Everyone has. But that's okay. You gotta get through the weird stuff to find out what you like. Though, that is a little weird. What is she gonna do with baby Jesus? Is this rated? <laughs> is there a rating on this movie? Fuck Jesus. Fuck Jesus. I let my wife... Uh, I let my daughter watch The Exorcist with me and my wife until it got to the point where the possessed child is like shoving the crucifix where the sun don't shine, saying, fuck Jesus. And it, before the scene happened, I immediately remembered the scene. I was like, ooh, <laughs> I lost my shit, fumbling with the remote, reaching over to cover her face. I was like, Shauna, stop her. Don't let her watch. There's a, there's a mosquito in here. Um, yeah, lost my shit trying to stop so my kid didn't see that part. Because the rest of it, I feel like, is appropriate for anyone. It's scary, it's weird, it's creepy. But that? Mm, I don't want my daughter to see that until she's... Never. 
<laughs> I never wanted to see it. Oh, cute old lady with a hump. Like young Frankenstein. You know, I'm a rather brilliant doctor. I can help you with that hump. What hump? <laughs> oh, rather brilliant surgeon, is what he says. God, I was watching... Have you guys ever seen the, the outtakes and uh, the, the sort of um, interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff from Young Frankenstein? I have the Blu-ray version of it, and it has a whole bunch of extras. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that likes watching movie extras. And uh, the Young Frankenstein extras are spectacular. Really good. Watching them try to get through a scene and just laughing hysterically, or the cameraman laughing so the camera's moving. It's just so good. Ugh. And you think, like, yeah, of course, we think it's hilarious because it's hilarious, but you don't think about how difficult it was to film it because it was so hilarious. Like, that's real shit right there. It was a coop drawing with a nun and her boobs out. Is that what that one is? No, that's not a nun. Yeah, coop does some pretty good um, nun illustrations and devil girl illustrations, too. <laughs> I think Ruth knows all about that. <laughs> Let's see. Werewolf. Werewolf. Oh, Terry Gar! Oh my gosh. See, I thought she was amazing in Mr. Mom. Because I saw that first. And then I saw, as a kid, and then I saw um, Young Frankenstein, and I was just like, I, I have to marry Terry Gar. <laughs> I have to. She's amazing. I want that in my life every single day. And so I married my wife. <laughs> who is my Terry Gar. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Young Frankenstein is one of those that it it's not making fun of the classic horror films. It's actually embracing it and doing a really good job of actually being it. But it is also, at the same time, incredibly hilarious. So if you ever watch the original Frankenstein, which is not close to the actual story of Frankenstein, at least not close enough for me, but... It's still an amazing film. Um, Young Frankenstein pays direct homage to that, using the same set equipment, too, for it, but then adds a layer of hilarity that is just... It hasn't, it hasn't been done since. I mean, you got to give props to... Um, um, Sam Raimi, because... He's not, he's no Mel Brooks, but he does blend horror with comedy in a really, really good way. So you gotta give props to, some, you know, people like him. But, um, Young Frankenstein. And Young Frankenstein wasn't just Mel Brooks either. I mean, he came in after the screenplay was already developed. You know, it was Gene Wilder who originally came up with Young Frankenstein, and they were looking for a director. And that's when he was trying to pitch it to Brooks. And Brooks actually didn't want that dance scene, the Fred Astaire um, putting on the Ritz. He didn't want it at all in the film. And Gene Wilder had to like freak out and scream at Mel Brooks. And then Mel Brooks was like, okay, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was gonna be in it, but I see your passion and now I believe it should be in it. Cause he felt like it would ruin the tone 
of the film that was set already. But that dance scene is beautiful. <laughs> Not only does it bring back a really great song from an era for people who would never have otherwise known that song, but also it gives this great little dance scene. I feel like as a kid, there was a lot of films that you got a lot of really great dance scenes in so you could learn to appreciate it and not even necessarily musicals, but just traditional films that would have like, you know, tap dances or, you know, whatever dancing scenes, 80s were big with dancing. Um, I feel like that that's like a lost art. I don't see that in anything anymore. And to put that in a horror film with Victor Frankenstein and his monster and have it be gold? Come on, that's there's no way that should work, and yet it's hilarious. Oh, so good. You guys should all watch that tonight if you haven't watched it this weekend yet. So good. Oh, dude, Moonlight Sonata is great in this. Right here, right? I'm just talking over it. I never even asked. Can you guys hear the, the track okay? Am I just ruining it? I have it potted down, but I want to make sure you can hear it. Who disturbs the night? I want to talk about shitty adaptations. Dracula. <laughs> have you ever read the novel Dracula? And then you watched the film Dracula? Like the universal horror film. It is not the same film. <laughs> you get a little bit closer to it with um, Bram Stoker's Dracula but it's still not there, but that's, it's, it's, it's bad. It's like the Cliff Notes version of Dracula. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and they're doing a Hellraiser series with, um, on Hulu with Clive Barker producing it. And Clive Barker's like hit and miss with this stuff. So you gotta, you know, you, I, I hedge my expectations. But if you, and it's supposed to be with a girl too, a girl Cinnabite instead of Pinhead. So it's not gonna have Pinhead, or I think it was like that Pinhead was going to be a female character. I don't care, I, I'm still down to it. Like, I love the idea. As soon as I read The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, which is just a small little novella, it's not a big book at all, but is chock full of imagery that again, to pay homage to my occult background, it spoke of these extra-dimensional beings that I always believed existed. And so I loved it because I felt like I had tasted that world before, you know? I'd already been there. I knew what it was like, you know? Um, demons to some, angels to others. Like, that. that is, that's, that's my bread and butter right there, you know? I want some pain with my pleasure. I need to be able to feel the extremes in order to really appreciate them. You know, in, in Magister Nadramian's essay, uh, Nadramian's essay, uh, My Dark Satanic Love, I believe, I'm going off memory, I believe she talks about how can you ever know how, you know, what love is like if you ever truly hate it. Like, you have to understand those extremes in life. And, and that's just, that's a reality, you know? You feel like you know happiness until you have a child. I didn't know happiness until I was holding my son and daughter right out of my wife's womb. Like, that was true happiness to me. Um, and I thought I knew happiness, you know? <laughs> I'd clearly orgasmed before. I was like, this is great! 
I want to do this all the time. But that's nothing compared to the joy of, you know, holding my child. There's, it's otherworldly for me anyway. It's not for everyone. Um, you know, in that first time your kid tells you they love you, oh, it's the best. And then that's juxtaposed with, I hate you, <laughs> or leave me alone, or don't hug me in public, or not in front of my friends. And then you're like, oh, you really don't like me. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> I gotta get this damn, what is, I don't even know if this is a gnat. Is this gnat trying to get my wine? I'm about to have a battle here. <laughs> I've never seen the ghost cube. That sounds interesting. I never liked Rubik's cubes. I had a friend who was insane with Rubik's cubes and he believed that there was like this mathematical equation that would always solve a Rubik's cube and he was really nerding out onto it. And then I had another friend who was like, I just take the sides off and put them together, put them back together in order. And he like lost his shit on my friend. He was like screaming at him like, how dare you? This is a complex mathematics game. Man. He was like, yeah, but I won. <laughs> I thought it was a really interesting way of thinking outside of the box. <laughs> By taking the box apart and putting it back together. But he, he freaked out. <laughs> Having your son Logan was the best thing ever. Yeah, it's cool, man. It could be horrible, too, because let's be honest, some kids are duds. It's true. You, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You're literally rolling the dice. You're hoping you're going to get a good one. Sometimes not everyone's so fortunate. <laughs> we have enough assholes walking around. You know that at one time there were kids, and there were still probably assholes when there were kids. So those parents definitely lucked out. Sometimes you're lucky. <laughs> not everyone is. Frankenstein. You must be Igor. Now it's pronounced, or you must be Igor. Now it's pronounced Igor. They told me it was Igor. They were wrong then, weren't they? It was just so great. And I think there was a lot of ad-libbed lines in that too that they ended up just rolling with because they were perfect. Oh, such a good film. Oh, I got to watch it again tonight. What? Knockers. Oh, thank you, Doctor. I gotta tell you, the chemistry between Terry Garr and Michael Keaton in Mr. Mom is amazing. I don't know if you guys, I feel like Mr. Mom is a film that no one I've ever met has ever seen. And I've seen it like 50 times. Like, and I, I own it physically and digitally. Like, I love that film. It's a ridiculous film, but it's, it's a film about someone like sort of losing themselves and then taking ownership of their position in life and, you know, improving themselves after their, their moment of loss. And it's about celebrating someone ultimately when they overachieve beyond you, but because that's your spouse, you still love them and you want to champion them, even though you kind of feel insignificant in comparison. Like there, there's this really, oh, we got trick-or-treaters. Uh, there's this beautiful back and forth message between in, in that film about the dynamics of a relationship. You know, it's really great. Stormy is his Hellraiser, but you love her so. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's like being a parent is, so many parents go into it thinking, 
I know I'm bouncing around on topics here. Um, so many parents go into it thinking, I'm just going to create a version of me, and then I'm going to raise it in the way that I should have been raised, and it's going to be me, and everything's going to be fine. And what you need to realize is that this is an entirely new entity. It may have some of your genes, but that doesn't mean it's going to like anything that you like or act anything like you act. It's a wholly entire entity unto itself. And if you approach it that way, then at least then you understand that no matter how they turn out as an individual, you're just happy that they're them, you know? Like you can celebrate them for who they are, not for who you wanted them to be. Because that's your failure. That's not their failure. There's no expectation of your children living up to your expectations. There's only the reality that they will, at best, live up to their own. And that is the bar that you need to weigh everything against. What are they capable of as individuals? How do they care about being? And are they living up to that? And of course, you can influence that. The culture and society at large is going to influence that on how high a bar or how grand a scope their desires or, or dreams become. But ultimately, you have to meet your children in the same way that you meet strangers. At their level, you have to say, okay, well, this is who you are. This is where you're at. I dig it. I appreciate you for being you. I don't need any of my friends to be like me. That would be boring as shit. I want my friends to be like them. That's why they're my friends. That's why I like hanging out with Brad. He's him. He's not me. <laughs> you know, that's why I like it. Treat your kids that way too. Have a good night, Marcy. Thanks for tuning in. Um... Yeah, I don't know that we have a lot of time left on this, to be honest. It should be almost over. Yeah, we're like two minutes out. It's almost over. Can't have kids, but your cockatiel more than makes up for that. Yeah, that's cool. That's the other thing is like, if you want kids and you can't have them, that sucks. But there are other options out there for you to explore, you know. You can either have animals, you can have adoptions you know there, there are other avenues out there um, but I do have to say if you like money don't have kids <laughs> they are a vacuum a vacuum of money there's so many trips that I could have taken so many experiences I could have had other than having kids but instead I had kids <laughs> vacuum all right, did you guys watch this? Did you, did you ignore my rants and my raves? Um, I'm going to have to watch this again because I clearly did not watch it at all. I was just bullshitting the whole time. I like the imagery, though, because it is very um, Mortensen, right? It has these really great textures and faces and shadows to accentuate those textures. And that could have just been the reality that they didn't understand lighting that well, but I don't think it is. Like that, for example, that is a well-lit face, you know? I think intentionally lit. I just think it's great. We detain the unhappy in a mental institution if she's wealthy in a modern clinic. He's talking about the reality of how we treat people. Pretty messed up.
Well, happy Halloween to all of you. I hope you have a good one. If you're unable to spend it crawling the night, consider watching a film. I just watched, um, I think it's Night Teeth or something like that on Netflix last night. It's a pretty good little vampire flick, so check it out if you uh, have an opportunity, if you like those films. But yeah, I think this is the end. You always know it's the end when someone's burning alive. <laughs> it's a pretty good cue. It's as good as a credit roll, I think. All right, that was the end. Um, thank you all so much for joining me for this Halloween episode. I did it early enough, hopefully, that you can still enjoy your evenings if you did decide to tune in. Uh, I hope you appreciated some of the occult stories that I shared with you. I have more, but not all of them are really kind of appropriate for this type of a channel or anything. So I'll save those for my personal friends. Uh, and some of them are more embarrassing than others. Uh, but that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your time and attention. You are what makes this a worthwhile exercise for me, producing these shows. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. There's tons of content and essays and uh, interviews and information on that website. You've got to do yourself a favor and check it out. If it's been a little while, check it out again. Of course, you can also read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. And if it has been a while, read them again. And of course, uh, Magister Ruth helped um, put out the We Are Satanist collection by Magister Blanche Barton, which is phenomenal. I point back here because it's on my shelf. You know, you're like, why is he hitchhiking or something? Um, no, it, it's a great collection. And I think it's on Kindle now too. And I think it should be out on hardback here soon. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ruth. But definitely check that out for you. Uh, it's worth your time and attention. And again, you know, like I, it took me a few readings and of the standard Bible in order to sort of rid my mind of the occultic bullshit that I had built up in it. But it is always nice to go back and reread it from time to time because it does sort of awaken those emotions and those um, thoughts that even though you may have been an uh, aware Satanist for decades, there's still that magic of experiencing it for the first time. And every time you read the Satanic Bible, you're reminded of where you were when you first read it, how you thought, how you felt, how it made you feel, the awareness that you're not alone. That's pretty goddamn magical. So revisit it if you have an opportunity. And there's no better time than in the Halloween season because this is our time. Of course, all time is our time, but this is when everyone else finally <laughs> wants to be like us. So, <laughs> Enjoy it, you know? You can be annoyed by it or you can just accept it and enjoy it. I dig it. Have a great night, everyone. Until next week, till we can speak of the devil again. Hail Satan. So it is done.